hello everybody. This is Treasure Island Pedagogies. We are imagine us on a tropical islands with students and then sometimes without them. So this discussion will be about our light bulb moments, treasure, teaching prop and pedagogy and luxury items when we relax off duty teaching. So can I ask you first of all to introduce yourself, your role and, and where you're from? Hi there, my name is Alex Spears. I'm a senior learning technologist at the London School of Economics and Political Science, and I work in the Eden Centre for Education Enhancement. And I'm going to tell you a little bit how I got to this position. So my background is that I left school with very little traditional qualifications. Um, I was working for nearly 10 years in a variety of strange and interesting job roles such as uh, butchery and record shop worker. I was introduced to a widening participation scheme in Scotland called Access to University and from there I gained entry into uh, the University of Glasgow to study history and history of art. And it was in my final year of this course that I was introduced to the use of technology in teaching and learning. So my final year project was a website based on an art historical problem. What was great about that course was that we were ably supported. The University of Glasgow had the great foresight to have a humanities advanced technology and information institute to support all us humanities uh, students uh, in learning technology. So they taught us how to use Dreamweaver uh, 4, for those that are interested, and Photoshop 5. From there, that allowed me to understand what alternative assessments are, but also how technology can be used in education. I then went on and did my postgrad uh, in web design at the University of West Scotland, and then entered higher education in an employed role, working in a variety of different roles, such as library assistant, technician, working in audio video, and then kind of like moving on to being a learning technologist. And so during that time, I have been working in a variety of different institutions in Scotland and England, predominantly in Liverpool. I've worked at the majority of higher education institutions in this fair city. Also during that time, I have been working in open education and community practice, beginning with the, the Media Enhanced Learning Special Interest Group run by Andrew Middleton, and then progressing on to the Bring Your Own Devices open course uh, led by Sue Beckingham and Christina Rancy and currently I'm participating on the steering group of the Creative HE group again led by Christina Rancy. Added to that I have been instrumental in setting up regional special interest groups for uh, learning technologists. So I led the Association for Learning Technologists special interest group in the Northwest for five years. And I've also been part of the Heads of eLearning Forum steering group in the UK. Currently, I am working on technologies for inclusion and accessibility. Um, I'm also focusing on the use of technology to support traditional and alternative forms of assessment. And I'm still very passionate and keen in the use of social media to keep up to date with practice and maintain community and connection with colleagues around the world. 
Good. I mean, you would be surprised that so many people from English and humanities who've become learning technologies. I think that's definitely really interesting. I mean, that could be another podcast series actually to discuss that. Okay, can we go on to Erica, please? Good morning. My name is Erica Smith, and I'm an associate professor and faculty development consultant in the Academic Development Center at Mount Royal University, which is an undergraduate focused university in Calgary, Canada. And just as you were mentioning, um, actually my background is uh, pretty interdisciplinary and I do come from my undergraduate and my MA degrees were in digital humanities and I had a focus in English. So uh, just as you're saying, we, we often come from different areas. So after I finished my MA degree, I started working with the Alberta Education um, which is the provincial learning technologies branch here, doing what was at the time called learning object development in 2005. Um, I know we still talk about those a little bit, but much less so than in 2005. And then I transitioned to working in higher ed. So I did my MA degree at the University of Alberta, which is a research intensive in Edmonton, um, just three hours up the road from Calgary, where I am now. And um, I worked in undergraduate medical education as an e-learning specialist, and then as senior instructional designer for adults and lifelong learning at the Faculty of Extension at the U of A. And that's where I had a chance to um, do my doctoral program. So I more formally studied in my PhD, adult community in higher ed, and had a focus on undergraduate learning and emerging technologies, especially social media and digital literacies. So um, I've been in my current role now for about seven years at Mount Royal University, and I get to work with faculty, doing faculty development work and programming, curriculum development for the university. And I also teach a first year course called Effective Learning in the Undergraduate Context, where we look at successful research-informed approaches for learning in university and their lives. So. That's a little bit about me. Brilliant, thank you. Lovely to have you with us, Erica. Thank you. Jess? Hi, so I'm a senior teaching fellow for the Academic Development Centre at the University of Warwick. And my pathway into this role has been a bit random. I've did various degrees in history, social sciences, and politics, um, museum studies, ended up in libraries. So that's where I'm from originally. And I worked in libraries for a number of years doing work with professional development side of things and also around digital literacy, research and innovation, working as a subject librarian as well. And then 10 years ago, I made the transition over to academic development, where I've been ever since, um, and I've had various roles within that time, um, leading on various programmes from our pathway for experienced staff to get recognition from the HEA fellowship through to supporting PGRs who teach. And about three or four years ago, time's just a bit mad at the moment, but I took on course lead for our postgraduate award in technology enhanced learning and um, lead in that area. So my work has sort of expanded and I've been working very closely as an academic developer with my colleagues in academic technology. And I now, as a response to the, the pandemic, we created a learning design consultancy unit, which is trying to bring academic development and academic technology colleagues to work together. We're all separate, but we we come together in that space and work on projects together and support colleagues with the move to teaching and learning online. That's me, really. Brilliant. So thank you. And let's look at our treasure islands and your treasure islands. Can you share one light bulb moment? And I know you will have many, so I know it's unfair to pinpoint one, but just what would be one light bulb moment that you share and how has it happened or what made it happen? So my light bulb moment was uh, working with academic staff at uh, an institution called uh, John Moore's in University in Liverpool. One of the projects that we did with our art and design colleagues 
was looking at how feedback could be communicated to students. And I worked closely with staff there because basically we were trying to solve a problem that the academic staff were constantly giving formative feedback on a regular basis. And then at the end of the year, they're getting really low scores and negative feedback saying, I'm, I'm not actually receiving feedback. So one of the things that we had at the time, and it sounds like a really old technology now, uh, was a thing called Wimba uh, audio voice technology. The essence of it was that it allowed you to quickly and easily record a piece of audio and send it via an email to uh, a student from the VLE, which was Blackboard at the time. And that was a revelation because what it allowed the staff to do was to save them some time to be able to record in the moment and provide that feedback when it was actually necessary to enhance the student's learning. It was a low barrier to entry because uh, I've not met any academic staff that don't like speaking. They're, they're very happy and, and kind of comfortable in that mode and the majority of them could all use email as well. So that combination really kind of like sparked my interest in using media and supporting staff to use media primarily for feedback. And the, the response that we had from the students was they were getting these fortnightly emails with recorded pieces of feedback that they would then respond to and write just a short kind of like 300 word summary and then talk about it when they actually had a face-to-face -face meeting with that member of staff. So there was this connection between the recording, the reflection, and then actually applying that knowledge to their creations that they were doing. And that was just a lovely kind of like, you know, piece of technology that allowed that process of learning to happen. And it was fantastic to see it making this impact for the academic staff that I, I was teaching at the time, but also coming through from the students as well. So obviously the following year, as a result of that, the, the scores on the NSS for those particular subjects just crept up. And so that, that was really positive. So that was, I guess, the, the thing that is my light bulb moment. And I think what I'm really excited about at the moment is podcasting and audio is back with the vengeance isn't it is it's really really positive and this past week i've been playing around with twitter spaces which i'm not sure if you know about and um, so basically it's it's like that clubhouse idea everyone's a flutter about it uh, in technology terms um, and basically it allows you to have a live audio conversation and bring people in from your network or elsewhere to discuss and participate in this and it's just been recently launched on Twitter. And I think there's some incredible value of that, of bringing people together in spaces, just as we are doing, to discuss, practice and share ideas. And so hopefully we'll get a chance to play around with that this year. You're right. Podcasting has suddenly just gone. Boom. It's. I thought it would be videos, you know, shining that. But podcasts are so easy to do in it, you know, listening to it on my dog walks and... It's just so old school, but so relevant, and um, I'm quite excited about it. The other thing that would, um, so at, at London School of Economics, one of our tutors who has got background in broadcasting, actually, as we were doing this COVID kind of pivot, creating videos was not something that they necessarily wanted to do. They wanted to and, and recognise that students had had enough of screen time, uh, and so was approaching it and thinking, well, let's actually create a series of podcasts to deliver this 
this content, provide these sparks for ideas uh, about the learning and get them outside, getting some vitamin D, get them outside walking and, and away from, you know, their, their fellow students within their kind of like, you know, environments, wherever they were. And I think there is something about that that audio element that allows you to do a little bit of multitasking, walk the dog, get outside, do the dishes, always do the dishes and listen to podcasts. So yeah, simple technology that hasn't disappeared. What about your light bulb moment, Erica or Jeff? I just really want to pick up on Alex's point about that application of knowledge, um, because I think that thread and just developing that feedback literacy is such an interesting point. For me, the characteristics that I've really found to be a light bulb moment that um, has been around making surface and deep approaches to learning really transparent for students. So in my first year course, we start with a bit of a discussion and an illustration around, you know, what does surface and deep learning mean? And um, there's a number of different sources we can look at. There's a table by Hewton, but also some really short videos by Stephen Chu on YouTube, speaking of, you know, little tiny, uh, you know, opportunities for walking away from our computer, perhaps on our, our mobile devices using the YouTube videos or audio. And Stephen Chu really clearly explains those concepts to students in a way that I thought was really clear and kind of helps to frame that learning opportunity. So often I find people think about, at least initially, the surface approaches as being bad and the deep approaches as being good. So it's a bit of a, you know, a trope uh, that students are, you know, I'm not going to be a surface learner, I'm going to be a deep learner. But what we really want to think about in our course is ensuring that we're just moving from that surface knowledge to the deeper knowledge. So of course, we might need to start with memorizing some definitions and some facts, starting off at the bottom of the hierarchy, but looking at that process towards moving toward deep learning. And once students had a chance to engage with that framework, I found that they were really able to tangibly and kind of concretely pick apart those ideas. So they've told me that's a light bulb moment for them. And actually in faculty development, using that framework um, has been something that the faculty have really engaged with too. So the particular way that we do that deep and surface movement in my course is through concept mapping. And uh, when I was on campus, <laughs> we would have um, a lot of opportunities to work with stickies and, you know, lo-fi tools like pens and, um, you know, kind of drawing things out, mapping things out in person. So this year when I taught the course online in the fall, I had to look at different ways of doing this with students synchronously and asynchronously. So um, using things like Google Jamboard and then also the nice thing is that concept mapping software can really help provide a structure and a kind of a concrete framework for students who are doing concept mapping. So I found that that was um, some, a thread that I could pull through. Um, in some of my teaching and learning experiences. And just to just to speak back to a concept that I think was mentioned in one of the previous episodes, pushing students to do something that's outside their comfort zone and actually faculty too, that, that process of trying to show relationships and connections and show make visible the application piece, kind of foster that deep learning. Um, we're not often pushed to do that in our day-to-day -day lives is show those connections, show our thinking processes in a really tangible way. So uh, students ultimately, I think, found the value in it. But that idea of the shadowy sibling from the last episode, you know, that, that um, it's not it's not always easy, right? And we have to kind of work through the challenges, which is part of the part that I think is is the light bulb. It kind of helps to move us. Um, some people might call it a threshold, a threshold, right? Past that threshold. So yeah, that's that's the thing that I have really enjoyed working with over the last couple of years is that deep surface learning and concept mapping approaches. 
That's fascinating. Yeah, because as you say, the important, the meta learning and those, you know, reflecting on learning is really important. So as you said, the, the importance from moving to surface to deep was important. So how do you do that for them to take hold of, of that process? Yeah, I think it has to happen in a number of ways that are are pretty intentionally built into the course. So, um, you know, formatively and kind of more informally through class discussions um, or breakouts, those kinds of things to help students um, have a channel to <laughs> ask questions and practice. Uh, but then, yeah, in terms of a formal assessment, in addition to having the map and having criteria for the map, having a sort of reflective explanation of what was happening, because I think a lot of people also get caught up on, you know, I'm not a graphic designer or I'm not a visually talented person. And um, so I'm able to tell them I am definitely not a visually talented person. Right. This does not this is not a reflection of if you have those skills, that's excellent. But really, it's about explaining the process and making those connections explicit. And um, I do find that students are able to articulate not only the connections between um, the things they're engaging with in the map, but ideally helping them to see what's connected in the course so that they are seeing that trajectory of their learning and that developmental process themselves through reflection. So yeah, exactly. Brilliant. Thank you, Erica. That's brilliant. Okay, Jess? My light bulb moment sort of comes from some of what you both said really about the application of knowledge and and how you sort of enable students to see the understanding make those connections the connected learning that goes on and um through the work i do with my students who are staff so they're participants uh, i'm very much about i think it is seeing them have agency in their learning and seeing them be able to produce something um, that they can then apply all the learning to. So um, the course that I run is very much a project-based course that colleagues have to go and develop a technology-enhanced intervention, evaluate it, disseminate it. And it was talking to colleagues who are like experts in the field of design thinking and how we frame that. That was for me the light bulb because it was an approach, thinking about a challenge and how you resolve that challenge, but coming very much from a student point of view, from an empathy, empathetic point of view, and how we test and prototype and test again. Um, and that gave me a really good framework to use with colleagues to enable them to have the opportunity to to really develop their projects with the learning and apply that learning and knowledge that they've taken from the course to their interventions. And also this idea as well of interdisciplinary discussions and you know we talk about podcasts and getting colleagues you know, they, that's why I'm quite confused about the, the Twitter space but getting colleagues to actually talk to each other that's where I find the biggest impact is when they have something to say to each other not just me I hate being a sage on the stage I hate telling people this is what you must do it's actually be able to see those light bulb moments happen amongst each other and and I get a lot from that as well selfishly I learn a lot from them um, so it's very much a, about community so for me yeah it's a number of different things but it's about the application of knowledge and how I can try and get our, our participants to take ownership and, and have agency in developing their practice and see where they want to go so they they, they take risks I take risks and, and see where where we go from that but it's a learning curve as well and sometimes it can be a bit of a risk um, but yeah, I was just going to say I, I totally connect with what you're saying there, Jessica, um, about having that interdisciplinary mix within the group. I mean, I think very much very early on in my career, um, I did fall into that trap of of being that person who had to be the person, the the sage on the stage, communicating this is how it is and this is how it has to be. And I think 
from a background of being a learning technologist, that doesn't always land completely with um, the staff that they, that you're working with. And it's much more impactful to bring colleagues in uh, and, and to demonstrate their practice and, and talk about their processes and, and how they've applied the technology and share that case study or those ideas and approaches it just makes it much richer and and i think actually much more not valid that's not the right word but um i think impactful is probably yeah they can relate to it and it's something we've done with the ldcu is we try and get colleagues to share their practice so it's not coming from what i was saying that the message is uh, 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 something that we'd agree with but we're trying to get them to see how colleagues are using technology in various ways and what we've started doing as well is getting the student voice in there as well so that the colleagues can learn from the students because that, that can sometimes reinforce like we're doing it okay or actually we didn't think of it in that way we need to look at that in a different way and I think that that's been quite a moment as well listening to students experiences and getting them to talk and be involved in those conversations. It's, it's funny because it seems so natural uh, to say that now but it hasn't always been the case in higher education where we've actually drawn on the students experience and listened to their voice and actually invited them into the room as well and what I'm heartened to see certainly in my institution and, and others that I've worked in that that process is becoming much more equitable so we, we are kind of like working together rather than it just being kind of one-way traffic which is great. And um, hopefully that's the same in your institutions as well. Yeah, we've had a lot of opportunity to work with students as partners, um, especially on open education initiatives. That's been a really key point for us to help, um, you know, forge those connections between uh, the students union, the representatives of the, of the undergraduate students, and then different um, service units, including our library and our academic development center and faculty members. So that's been a really great nexus point for us as the open education and open pedagogy items. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what teaching prop or pedagogy would you take to your treasure islands? Okay, I'm going to say teaching prop because I do like a teaching prop. So th this bit is probably going to feel a little bit like uh, Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction. If you've been in one of my, my teaching sessions as a member of staff, you'll have probably heard me say this. So if you come to one of my sessions, you will receive a Tunnock's caramel wafer or Tunnock's tea cake yeah. on entry. And that, that's just standard. And the, the, there's many, many reasons for that. One, it allows me to tell the story about uh, my gran, who used to work there um, many, many years ago. So we're, we're, we're sharing stories and we're, we're coming together and I'm setting the scene for a convivial uh, session. Two, you may have been running from one lecture or one meeting to the next and you might not have had the chance to actually grab something to eat so there you go there's a little bit of sugar that should help you through this session uh three it's nice to receive a little bit of chocolate you know it just it kind of like levels it out and kind of like makes you sets the scene for a, a nice training session or a nice time to actually be with colleagues and discuss ideas and share ideas do you have an issue then in the pandemic? What do you do in the pandemic? <laughs> I get very lonely. Because <laughs> you can't give virtual chocolate. So have you got I, like I, a, a Zoom background or a Teams background with Tonox? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, grab that. 
it's 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 got to the stage um so that there's a couple other reasons why um so it's you know when you work in large organizations especially in kind of like siloed organizations which universities are a great man once said to me it's like it's good to be known in an organization for something just one thing and the the turnix tea cake and turnix caramel wafer has become an emblem um, at every organization that i've worked in um and so, so much just so... translated for international audience because i certainly as a hungarian i wasn't aware of tonox until i came to england or scotland even <laughs> well i'd i've been tonox uh I, I feel other chocolate biscuits are available i should say but tonox uh, is obviously they sell five million biscuits all around the world it's it's a bit of a an uh it's, it's an excellent Scottish export, shall we say. And it's got a beautiful design aesthetic as well. So have a look at it online later. So if, if you've come to one of my sessions, you'll have, you've received this, you will have been invited into a kind of a convivial, happy place. And that's how I like to start my sessions. Forget everything else. Focus on the chocolate. Let's have a discussion. Let's go forward in a positive way. So that that's my key thing. And oh yeah, um, and it's got to, has actually got to the stage where I think any time Tonics gets mentioned on social media, someone tags me in. And uh, the last I think your leaving of... presence had this. You know, you're easy to get. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think he's all bought me a, a Tonics tea cake hat, uh, which I still wear. It's lovely. So, well, that's so, yeah. lovely because we had learning as a challenge, you know, Erica, you mentioned that as a space for challenge. And in, in this case, it's about giving and getting, you know, it's about receiving something, uh, but in a fun, light-hearted environment, which I think is a nice other aspect of that. Okay, mm -hmm. other teaching props or pedagogies that we want on this island? Yeah, there's, there's really something about breaking bread, isn't there, in person that I think I'm just so looking forward to. And I do wish, I'm going to look up those uh, those treats afterward and see, see if I can get some in Canada because they just sound so delicious. Um, I so, hope so. Um, I'll, I'll report back, Alex. I'll report yeah, back please on, do. On experience with that. But yeah, I think one of the things that resonates for me out of your teaching prop in mine is less of a prop. But I think we could work together and maybe um, build some community. So I'm I'm a big fan of community building, and I think part of what you're mentioning is that community piece. So I'm bringing communities of practice. Uh, I've really seen the impact of those communities of practice in my educational development work. And I was just mentioning a little bit before about that um, open education piece. So one of the communities of practice that I co-facilitated with my colleague in the library, Carrie Merkley, um, was for educators at Mount Royal University on open education and pedagogy. And the projects and initiatives and changes and shared learning that happened across disciplines, I just found so inspiring and also, uh, you know, really had a lot of impacts and connections with students as well. So I think on our island, we could form a community of practice or various communities of practice oh, yes. to engage, especially I'm hoping this is a cumulative thing where all of the things in the treasure chest from the previous episodes are there. So we already have food and plants and sports, all kinds of things. And I would love to learn about things in the treasure chest in those communities of practice. And just, I guess that also for me is, is an exciting thing that I'm um, thinking back to pre-pandemic because um, in Calgary, before the pandemic started, I was involved with a group here called Nerd Night. And we had monthly events with 
participants and speakers from all different parts of the community, including academia, but beyond as well. And I just really miss going to those. It was hap it happens in a pub and we, you know, share a pint and it's a 20 minute TED, TED talk ish thing um, and three different talks. So I'm really missing going to those monthly events. I think we all have that Zoom fatigue right now and want to walk away from our screen as you as you mentioned earlier, and that's one of the great things about podcasts, but I'm, I am really looking forward to going back to those monthly events. So I think on our island, we need something to keep ourselves, you know, entertained and engaged and uh, maybe have some pub nights or some nerd nights and, and have a community of practice where we share our learnings on the various things we've been doing. That's, that's my, that's my idea. So. That sounds great, Erica. I definitely want to be part of your communities of practice. Um, that's that's fantastic. There, there will be chocolate and or beer and or other things involved. So. I mean, chocolate and beer, that's all the basics covered, really, isn't it? There we go. That's, that's, those are the major food groups, I think. <laughs> so let's hear the, the third one then. Yeah, well, mine nicely fits with both of those, I think, because as a, I, I'm really passionate about this community idea as well. And so I was going to take um, a prop with me, um, which would be any any tool that promotes collaboration. So in this past, especially recently, um, I found things like Padlet and Miro so helpful to get people to collaborate and talk together so we could still have some contact with the outside world and work with other people off the island too to be able to to develop ideas and I know like I mentioned earlier about the design thinking process but using those tools to try and prompt the development of ideas and, and projects and getting people to work together as one student said to me not that long ago the one thing they want to keep from from 2020 was Padlet that they, they said that was their thing they, they didn't want to ever lose but yeah I ideally though I'd love the community in a real world I'd love to see people in 3D again and just like real people but it's uh yeah anything that I do find that sometimes people talk online where they wouldn't necessarily talk in the space so it's sort of both you can do it in the space as well so we we tried something where we had Padlet going and people were sitting there happy to type but not happy to talk so it's uh, it's interesting how how we can try and encourage communication that way but yeah beer and uh, chocolate would be <laughs> I'll be there <laughs> I think what I've taken so far from the conversation as well is this idea of community the transdisciplinary discussions so almost like you know the connecting the islands is as important as what's going on in the islands both of your um your treasure island like commentary is is absolutely kind of like squared with what I'm, I'm i'm interested in and what i'm doing at the moment as well and i don't know if either of you attended the online oer conference last week which was organized by all but it's that sense of international community that is informed in an ethical way. Uh, it was focused on care and it was about transforming students and staff experiences and sharing those ideas across kind of boundaries openly on platforms was just just absolutely inspirational, really fantastic. And I think that's part of what we're I think what you're talking about, please do correct me, when we talk about community, it's it's not just the communities within our own organisations, it's the people that you respect in other organisations, in other institutions that stand by you and, and in a way kind of reinforce your ethical approach to how 
you teach and, and how you use technology and how you your values are informed by that group over time as well. Um, and I think that that's something that I'm very kind of passionate about. So I think we are going to have a fantastic time on this island. It's just going to be great. So talking of fantastic time, you've been very busy in your jobs and I think, you know, having some off duty relaxation time when we're not working is important. So what what would sustain you? What would be a luxury item that you would want to take for, for the time when you want to relax? It's almost a cliche, I'm afraid. Um, so I'm a man of a certain age. I have a very large record collection. I would be bringing my physical record collection, not Spotify, not Bandcamp, not any of these streaming services physical media i want my scratches i want my crackle i want my hiss i want these beautiful pieces of artwork that cover the the black kind of like 12 inches and 7 inches and 10 inches yeah that would sustain me because each one of these is a story in itself it's a it's an approach to creation it's about changing people's views changing people's ideas bringing in new vistas challenging all of that would sustain me, I think, on on an island. Obviously, I'd have to kind of like keep the sand out and keep the 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 seagulls from pecking at the seams and stuff like that. But yeah, that sounds excellent. Um, so I I think I mentioned early on I'm Canadian. So I think what I would really miss from this uh, past winter, I was doing a lot of cross country skiing, and so what I'm hoping for some magical hybrid, maybe some. Uh, you know, water skis slash, you know, in the winter time, I could use them for downhill and or cross country skis. So some magical skis that would let me do all of those things. And part of what I would do actually, when I was driving out to my ski location would listen, I would listen to podcasts and then have inspiration on the trail to kind of, you know, just be away from my screen and, um, you know, physically move my body. So I think I'd like to continue that and just have some pure relaxation and or exercise time available to me. So that sounds awesome yeah definitely allowed i'd like to take with me um radio because i just i'm so nosy i love to know keep in touch with what's going on um and just uh, hopefully have some music on there as well um listen to some audio plays um just just to hear a human voice if there was no one around i do have the radio on all the time it's annoying for those that work well my husband works at home with me i've never spent so much time with him and i'm quite loud and he's not so <laughs> it's uh, i do like the radio being on even in the middle of the night i couldn't live without that i love the idea of um the vinyl and skiing and doing everything all at once <laughs> it sounds oh, yeah. great yeah the radio has been kind of like you know but it's, it's funny i think the um podcasting has allowed me to get into radio more and I, I don't know I wonder if that's because you you've got to the stage where you I don't just have to listen to and it's taken me a while to shift on from just switching the radio on or switching the tv on and just watching what's on but actually choosing and having that choice and, and selecting those things to do my skiing to or or whatever <laughs> Well, actually, it's audiobooks I've really got into since lockdown. And, mm. and that's a similar thing, experience now, where you can do the audiobook while you're washing up or doing the dog walk. But then you can also seamlessly connect back to the, the reading version when you want to. So that flexibility I've just discovered, which is amazing. Okay, the other thing that we, um, again, you've started in the discussions, but can you see yourself bartering, exchanging some of the items that you've discussed? 
I'm hoping it's just a treasure trove. This is what I have in mind. I love the idea of the treasure island. So, and actually uh, you introduced me to this desert island discs idea. So that's something I've been listening to. And so I love that this is a bit of a spin on that, that in fact, this is more of a, you know, again, hopefully a community repository of <laughs> island island related things. So um, I guess I want to be greedy and just see a big treasure chest with all the things from all the episodes in there. And uh, I guess if I were to barter, maybe I would barter for the campfire or the bike. It's, it's so hard to know. There's cooking utensils in there. We could break some bread together. There's so many things. Um, so I, I guess maybe I'll think of the treasure chest as being my umbrella term for all of those things together where we have a bit of a lending library of treasurable items. I mean, I guess that's the beauty of community, as you discussed, Erica, that if you have your community on the island, you don't really need, you know, you can just go to your next neighbor and borrow something. And yeah, that's the idea of behind what you talked about, the open education as well. So that's the whole spirit. I, lo I love this idea of, of kind of breaking bread and food being kind of like central to community as well. And and both of you, you were talking about breaking bread and listening to the radio. And it reminded me of one of the other pleasurable things that I do enjoy doing that I would quite like to continue doing on the desert island if possible, is that I, enjoy, I really enjoy cooking. Um, and, and I often find myself in the kitchen on a Saturday listen to Radio 6 pretty much from Huey all the way to Giles Peterson and the Funk Show and just not really wanting to move that far at the kitchen. So I end up making complicated dishes that never all always come together <laughs> um, and the kids actually don't really like. But I've had an enjoyable experience, that journey of creation and just listening to what the world go by. So hopefully I would be able to kind of like cook some food for all the people on the island as well. I definitely think the creative element and, and having fun with what we got um, there, it, it sounds like we, we're all sort of coming from similar positions and we've all, the community is central to it, but being able to, to create different things and have different experiences, it's, uh, I'm quite looking forward to this island. Okay. <laughs> Me too, and I like to yeah. eat. So if you like to cook, then yeah. that's a perfect, oh, no, perfect. Uh, combination. <laughs> Sounds like our utopia is ready. So thank you so much for today's conversation. I really enjoyed it and I would love to stay on, on our islands. I, I think we will all have a fun time. Thank you for listening and uh, let's wait uh, for the next podcast. Bye for now. <laughs>